You're listening to the Whole Vineyard Podcast. To find out more about the Whole Vineyard Church, go to wholevineyard.co.uk. Good morning, everybody. <laughs> I'm always a little bit reluctant to interrupt that part because I just think it's so great when people are just connecting and chatting, and I think it's a great part of the meeting. Um, but uh, I, I suppose we've got to get on to the message this morning, and I just really wanted to welcome you all this morning. If you are new to church and joining us for the first time, you are most welcome. It's great to have you with us. If you are online this morning watching um, somewhere else, um, it's really great to have you with us as well. Um, it is, it's so good to be here with you this morning and have, uh, to have the privilege of sharing uh, the message this morning. Um, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Dennis, and I'm married to Michelle. She's sitting over there. And uh, I have four daughters. And uh, us as a family have been part of Hull Vineyard for about nearly going on two years now, since October 2021. And we just love being a part of this local body of Christ. We just love being a part of this family of God here in Hull. And um, we love what God is doing at this time. There's just a real sense of God pouring out His Spirit and God moving in our lives and moving in this great city of Hull. And we're just so glad to be a part of that. Um, now, Michelle and I met when we were much younger. Um, we grew up in a, in a small town on the southeast coast of South Africa. You might have noticed from my accent. Um, but we met in church. Uh, she was 19. She was beautiful. She still is beautiful. Um, <laughs> She was, uh, she was studying fashion design at college, and I was in my early 20s, having just returned to my hometown from being away at university for about six years studying. Um, and she already had a very deep relationship with the Lord, and I had only just committed my life to the Lord. Um, I had I'd done that through the Alpha course. I got invited along to the, to the Alpha course, and I committed my life to the Lord. But I was still very wild and woolly, a, a bit of a rough diamond. Um, some might say that you needed to look very carefully to see any treasure in me at all, um, but Jesus did. Jesus did see the treasure inside of me, and he got a hold of my heart. Um, and, he, and, and my call to take up my cross and follow him had just begun when Michelle and I met. Now, I grew up in church. I grew up in the Catholic church. My parents took me to church every weekend, um, but I never really had a relationship with Jesus. I, I didn't really know him. I didn't really walk with him. I believed in Jesus. I believed in God, but I didn't, I didn't walk with him. And I think as a, as a younger child, I remember being very sincere in my desire to have a faith. I really wanted to believe. I really wanted to follow the Lord. I remember being very earnest and doing my, my best to try and listen in church and to believe in God. And I liked going to church. Um, one of my favorite parts of the service was taking the Holy Communion, the bread and the wine. And Perhaps maybe for those of you who are new to church this morning, the bread and the wine represent the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross for us. The bread represents his broken body, and the wine represents his blood that was shared for us. And I, I remember uh, we used to go up uh, to the front of, uh, of the church to receive the bread and the wine, and I remember being excited as we used to queue up to go and get 
the bread and the wine. And I loved being prayed for by the priest. I loved being blessed by the priest. And after we had taken um, communion, we would go back and we would sit down. And I remember experiencing a profound sense of quiet and peace as I went back to the pew and I knelt quietly and I tried to think about what Jesus had done and I tried to pray. And I knew, I knew there was something massively, massively significant about the bread and the wine. And, and it was during those times that I really sensed the presence of God. But the problem was that from my early teens and into my 20s, a period of about 10 years, I walked away from the Lord. Um, and the thing is with me, there's, there's no such thing as half measures. Um, I, was, I was literally like the younger brother in the story of the prodigal son in the Gospels who set off for a distant land and squandered his wealth on wild living. That was me. Um, but I thank God that my story didn't end there. Towards the end of my life, or sorry, towards the end of my time. <laughs> well, yeah, well, my life in the world. <laughs> um, towards the end of my time in university, um, God began to draw me back to him, and he began to help me to see and understand uh, what he had done for me on the cross. I began to began to see this, and I began to see how I could live a completely different life. And he showed me that his way was the right way, and that I could be free, and that I could walk in this way with him. And he showed me how I could be forgiven for some of the terrible things that I'd been involved in, uh, things that I knew were wrong. And he showed me how I could have a close and loving relationship with my Father in heaven, and for the first time in nearly 10 years, I felt his presence again, and I felt his love for me again. So how is this possible? How can a person who has walked away from God and rejected God, who's made terrible mistakes and done shameful things, how can this be made right? How can a person be reconciled to the one that he had wronged so badly? How can a person get a brand new start in life. Now, a few weeks ago, I was listening to a podcast uh, that was part of a teaching series by one of the great Bible teachers of our time. I'm not sure if you've heard of him. Some of you might know him. His name is David Pawson. He's a great Bible teacher. And I was listening to his teaching on the book of Leviticus. And he spoke about this painting, which, really, which has really captured my imagination. I don't know if you've got a picture of that painting. We can pop it up there. So this painting is by a British painter called William Holman Hunt. I'm not a, an art expert, but I did go and look it up. And um, he started painting uh, this, he started doing this painting in 1854 on the shore of the Dead Sea, and he finished it about two years later, 1856, in his studio in London. And I don't know, uh, I don't know what about you, but to me it's a bit of a strange picture um, if you don't know the story behind it. And so this painting depicts the scapegoat described in the book of Leviticus. In the book of Leviticus, Moses records the instructions that he received from God for a cleansing ritual. You see, the thing is, just like every person in every nation, the people of Israel were dearly loved by God, are dearly loved by God. But they consistently damaged their relationship with God by refusing to acknowledge him, um, by rebelling against him by turning, and, and by turning to other sources 
of comfort and provision. And you know, this is true for all of us as well. In all of us, there's something beautiful and there's something wonderful. Um, Human beings have this incredible capacity for love. And we all have this sense of the divine. Um, We all have this inbuilt desire to be connected to God and to know our, our maker and to be known by him. We have this searching inside us. And you know, if we really think about these things, it's not hard to see that God is real and that he's there and, and, and he's with us and that he made us and that he loved us. But I think it's also clear, uh, sorry, it's also clear that something has gone wrong with human beings. Something has gone wrong with us. If we, if we really look into our own hearts, we can see that somehow our nature is fundamentally marred. We are born with an innate selfishness and we are born with an independence and a propensity to do what is wrong, uh, to do the things that we know are wrong. And so God gave these instructions to Moses how this impasse between God and the uh, the, the nation of Israel could be resolved. He told Moses that once a year, one, uh, he must set aside on one day every year, he must set aside a day when a priest representing the people of Israel would make atonement for their sins. And on this day, the day of atonement, a goat would have its horns wrapped with a red cloth. And you can see, I don't know if you can see it there in that painting. And this cloth would represent, was, was representing the sins of the community. And the goat was driven off into the wilderness to die outside the Israelite camp. And this is where we get the term in the English language, um, scapegoat. A scapegoat is someone who is blamed for or punished for another's faults or actions. You know, when things go horribly wrong, people always look for a scapegoat. And atonement is the process of causing all the wrong things that we do to be forgiven and pardoned. And this is what God was doing through this ritual the sins of the nation of Israel being transferred onto the scapegoat in a ritualistic way so that the people could be forgiven and reconciled to him. But we learn in the New Testament that this ritual wasn't intended to be a permanent one. God had something else in mind. It was only ever meant to be a copy of the real atonement that Jesus would make on the cross for us. And He would make this atonement or this sacrifice not just for the sins of the Israelites, but for the sins of the whole world. And there would not need to be a sacrifice every year, but Jesus would sacrifice himself once and for all, for all sins and for all time. And so we need to think about this. Why is this so important? Why did the Israelites need to go through this elaborate ritual? Why did Christ have to die for us? Why do we need a savior? Well, the answer is simple. It's because God loves us. God made us. And although, he, although we rebelled against him, he still loves us. But the problem is that God can't just ignore our sin and rebellion. Uh, to do that would not be right. We know that that's, it's not right. Somehow it's not right. It's not just. And so there needs to be a recompense. Otherwise, we could turn around and say that God isn't just. 
And so God needed to pay the price for us. He needed to make recompense on our behalf. He needed to fix what was broken. And he was the only one who could do it. And it cost him dearly. But he did it because he loves us. He wants us to be reconciled to him. I'm going to take a little bit of a break now. And I'm going to ask Rob to come up and read a passage of scripture from the book of Mark in the New Testament. And it tells the story of the final hours of Jesus' life, the moment when Jesus took upon himself the sins of the world and how he became a scapegoat for you and for me and for the rest of mankind so that we can be reconciled to God. Rob, you can come up. But before God reads um, this passage, I just really had a sense, and I've asked Rob to come and read this passage over us, Um, and I just had a sense that Sometimes when we read the word of God, um, we, we can really meet with the Lord. And so I'd like you just to just be quiet in your hearts and just allow God, uh, Rob to read this passage over you. Um, Rob, come. Um, let's, just, let's just close our eyes and let's just pray. Holy Spirit, would you come and reveal your word to us? Holy Spirit, would you come? Lord, your word is alive and powerful. Lord, help us to hear what you want to say to us through your word. Thank you, Lord. Amen. This uh, reading is taken from Mark's Gospel, chapter 15, and I'm reading verses 15 to 47. So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. And the soldiers led him away inside the palace, that is, the governor's headquarters. And they called together the whole battalion. And they clothed him in a purple robe, cloak, and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on him. And they began to salute him, Hail, King of the Jews! And they were striking his head with a reed and spitting on him and kneeling down in homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak and put his clothes on him, and they led him out to crucify him. And they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. And they brought him to the place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull. And they offered him wine, mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him and divided his garments among them, casting lots for them to decide what each should take. And it was the third hour when they crucified him, and the inscription of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. And with him they crucified two robbers, one on his right and one on his left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, He saved others, he cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross, that we may see and believe. Those who were crucified with him also reviled him. And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, 
Eloi, Eloi, lemma sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing said, behold, he's calling Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink, saying, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, truly this man was the son of God. There were also women looking on from a distance, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James the younger and of Joses and Salome. When he was in Galilee, they followed him and ministered to him. And there were also many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. And when the evening came, had come, since it was the day of preparation, that is the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council, who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate was surprised to hear that he should already have died. And summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he was already dead. And when he learned from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the corpse to Joseph. And Joseph brought a linen shroud and taking him down, wrapped him in the linen shroud and laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of the rock. And he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. Amen. Yeah, thanks, Rob. Thanks. Yeah, what an incredible story. What an incredible account of the final hours of Jesus' life. And this is the account of Jesus as the scapegoat. This is the account, uh, this, is the, this is the time when, when God took our sin and our shame and he put it on D- Jesus so that we could be given a brand new start, so that we could be made righteous through Christ and thus be reconciled to God. And there's so much in this account that is moving and life-giving and transformational. And I just encourage you that maybe over the next week, um, just spend some more time reading through this passage and allowing the Holy Spirit to minister to you. But I'd just like to take a little bit more time for the remainder of this message just to focus on one part in particular. And it is the story within the story. It's a story about Simon of Cyrene who was forced to carry Jesus' cross. It's a story about a foreigner, and he had no intention of getting mixed up in these incredible, these terrible events. He was in the wrong place at the wrong time. Mark says that he was just a passerby. But in a moment, and without warning, he was caught up in the incredible purposes of God. The Bible describes Simon as a man from Cyrene, a town near the coast of Libya, in, the, in, in North Africa. He was a North African man. He was a foreigner. He was in the wrong place at the wrong time, depending on how you looked at it. And more than this, we don't know for sure, but he was a real historical person who served Jesus in his final hour. 
And you know, the call to serve Jesus is often sudden, costly, and random. But in this moment, God changed the course of Simon's life forever. And without warning, Simon found himself surrounded by a murderous crowd of soldiers and onlookers carrying a heavy wooden cross, following hard after Jesus. And you know, whether or not it was Mark's intention, Simon carrying the cross of Jesus gives us a beautiful picture of our calling as disciples. You know, Jesus made it clear to his disciples that to follow him would be costly. He, he used to teach them that if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Another very interesting thing about this account is that the names of Simon's children were mentioned in this passage. Mark explains that the story, that in, the story, that in this story, that the Simon he's talking about here is the one who is the father of Alexander and Rufus. Rufus he's referencing his children. This account uh, that Mark was writing was written about 50 years after the crucifixion and was written to the church at that time. And it appears that Simon and his family were affectionately known by the body of Christ. They were affectionately known in the church. And so not only was Simon's life turned around, but so were the lives of his family and his children. And you know, Many of us believe that there's a call on our lives, but as, as fathers, as parents, um, the call is on our lives and the, call, and, and the call is on the lives of our children as well. And so God had a plan for him and God had a plan for his family. And you might have come here today not expecting God to speak to you. You might see yourself as a foreigner or an outsider or just a passerby. You might be just going about your business, not really intending to get involved. Perhaps you were invited by a family member. Perhaps you were invited by a friend this morning. Or maybe you were just curious, and you know, whatever the situation is, you found yourself in church, and you are confronted by the cross of Christ, and Jesus is saying to you, come take up your cross and follow me. The incredible thing about the story of Simon is at one point he was a foreigner, just going about his business, but on that fateful day, his life was turned around forever. He went from not being known to being known. He went from being an outsider to being part of the family of God, and even his children were saved. The last thing that I wanted to share this morning is, that, is how God answers prayer and how he can and will answer your prayers. You see, the reason why Simon was forced by the soldiers to carry the cross is not, it's not perfectly clear in this passage, but it seems likely that Jesus was struggling to carry the cross on his own. Jesus was severely weakened from the scourging he received and loss of blood, and therefore he was unable to carry his cross, which weighed between 30 and 40 pounds. The skin on his back uh, and his muscles would have been severely lacerated, and he could even have suffered severe injury to his internal organs from the beating that he had received. And it's possible that he would have collapsed and died before they had had a chance to crucify him. And so it seems likely that for this reason, the, the soldiers forced uh, Simon to help him. You see, God doesn't always answer prayer in the way that we expect, 
The reality is that Simon's help came just at the right time, a time of intense suffering and difficulty. And it helped Jesus to finish the task that he had been given to complete. And that was, that was something that Jesus was set on doing. Despite, um, at times, he was, he was human, just like you, in one sense he was human, in another sense he was God, but, but despite at times his strength and his resolve were failing, he was set on completing the work that God had called him to do. And you know, sometimes Jesus calls us to follow him and to honor him in our lives. And we will find ourselves in situations where perhaps maybe our strength and our resolve are at the point of breaking. And, and we know as well, uh, John shared this a couple of weeks ago, um, that Jesus cried out in the Garden of Gethsemane. He, he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane um, that, that he needed help in that moment. He needed help so that his obedience would not falter when he was confronted with the cross that his father was asking him to go through. The account in Luke tells us that an angel came and strengthened him. God answered his prayers. And in this moment too, when it seemed like he was faltering and didn't have the strength to continue, God provided help for him. And I feel like this is, some, I feel like that, like this is for someone here today. I felt um, as I was preparing this message that the Holy Spirit wanted me to highlight this for someone this morning. Or perhaps maybe a number of people here this morning facing overwhelming trials. I feel like our Father is saying to you today that there are things that all of us as his children need to go through. And you might be asking why? And I think the answer is that his reasons are his own. But his purpose for you is always good. And his purposes for you are always from a heart of love. You know, Jesus once said that about his father that if we who are broken and marred in our nature know what is good for our children, and if we are able to act out of love for our children, how much more will our father give us good things? How much more can we be certain of God's uh, love for us even when we are facing overwhelming obstacles? And I believe that our father has heard your prayers. I believe that he has heard your anguish and he will not let you falter. He will not let you fall. He will strengthen you and he will strengthen your faith and, he will help, and, and help will come when you need it. Thank you for listening to the Whole Vineyard Podcast. We would love to connect with you and welcome you home to church. To find out more, go to wholevineyard.co.uk forward slash connect. And stay up to date with all that is going on in the life of our church. Go to hallvineyard.co.uk forward slash church news and sign up for our weekly mailing. Thanks for listening. We hope to see you soon.